0: We are the men who
1: You know, so when I was feeling particularly, I suppose I was unwell, I had quite a lot of like periods of bouts of depression that were sometimes quite long, sometimes quite short, but you know, I had a lot of habits that were not great. But in those periods, this place where I got solace was when I was outside. And I always found it like it never let me down i suppose on some level it was, it was like this rubber band pulling me back you know always like always want to be outside the natural world to me probably means something about it's noticing you know noticing what's going on outside of me notice what's going on inside of me and
0: kind of again it's this thing about
1: like there's a peacefulness to it.
0: welcome to the men who talk the men's mental well-being podcast brought to you by the men who the Men Who is a men's collective for actively maintaining positive mental well-being. With The Men Who, men have the opportunity to talk, listen, support, care for, and help themselves and each other build meaningful connections in person, online, and together. Together, it's our purpose to raise the power of sharing what's on our mind and make it easier for men everywhere to access their well-being potential. Join us on this lifelong journey. We are The Men Who, and welcome to The Men Who Talk.
2: Sean, a very, very warm welcome to the Men Who Talk podcast. How are you today?
1: Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes,
2: it's, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Um, listen, you are here to talk about something that uh, is is very close to my heart, and I know is close to the hearts of a lot of the guys who attend the Men Who, and we're going to get into this, uh, this, this theme of outdoor well being um, mm. in, in a little while, because because you've got a lot of experience there, and you you host your own podcast, and um, you, I think it was sits at the foundation of your your profession but um but before we go into the detail I'm going to hand over to you just to introduce yourself and just give the listeners a little bit of an introduction into what they can expect from this topic today.
1: Cool okay great thank you. So yeah my name's Sean Tierney I'm a counsellor, outdoor therapist and supervisor I guess would be my full title um so yeah so I've been working as a therapist for around hmm, five and a half, six years. Mm-hmm. Prior to being a therapist, I had lots of different jobs, um, with varying levels of satisfaction and dissatisfaction, and I guess that's fundamentally what led to me being a therapist. You know, I, I guess I was always looking for meaning. You know, meaning out of a sort of abstract thing that we call work. I was just that. I never really felt. I'd done loads of things and would be really enthusiastic about them, but you know, over time I would find holes in the plot, or I'd find fault, or didn't align with my values or whatever so that led me to therapy and then yeah working as a therapist I yeah so when I started my practice I had this notion of taking my practice outdoors and I was met with like a lot of um, confusion and head scratching by maybe more experienced therapists and because it's not necessarily something that's commonplace or it certainly wasn't five or six years ago when I was training Um, so yeah like my practice I, I do outdoor work I do one-to-one, I do group work, I work with children, I work with adults, um, I do it on Zoom, I do it online, I do it in person, but at my heart, I think, yeah, I feel like I am an outdoor therapist, that's how I sort of identify, um, and that's really important to me, and it feels like that's an extension of me as a person, it's not like, there's no real separation, there. Like my job is like, Yes, yes, it sort of aligns with my values and my ethics and stuff. So yeah, that's kind of what I do. I also, interestingly enough, I uh, run a men's group, which I don't know if you knew that. So um, I run a men's group in a off an evening um, in Glasgow. So that's through an organisation called Finns Place, and mm-hmm. they are based in a church, but they're not like affiliated with like. It's not a religious, there isn't a religious element to the book, but they're posted in the church It's like a sort of side project. Um, so that's called the Men Talking Group. And I've been doing that for just over a year. Um, so that kind of ties in with my I suppose my training, my profession, but also like personal interest. So it's this really nice thing. I do it on a Tuesday evening. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a very sort of broad overview of what I do. Um and yeah, I qualified as a supervisor last year, like a clinical supervisor. So I can sort of support other therapists. Um, clinically, and I, I guess if you know to, to reflect on the practice and you know to sort of notice any blind spots or any issues, so yeah, so I'm really I feel like a really lucky person. Um, actually, you know, doing this, doing something like this that sort of emphasizes that feeling. I'm like, you know, a few years ago, I'd have been working in a job I didn't like, and it's like, well, it's a Thursday afternoon, and I'm just like pretty relaxed afternoon I'm doing a podcast I'm gonna have a sandwich later I'm just like I just feel like um I'm in a really good place and I feel like that sort of sense of gratitude which is very much a buzzword now but that sense of gratitude sort of permeates my life quite a lot and I'm and yeah it feels really present most of the time so yeah big intro sorry but yeah that's that's me in a nutshell I guess
2: big intro great intro uh I'm really I'm really glad to hear you you know, you feel happy. And it's a really interesting phrase that gratitude permeates your life. I was talking to someone earlier today, actually, about how how we approach gratitude. You know, well some people tend to approach it you know, by writing lists, others, um, myself included, and it sounds like you as well, just tend to notice it here and there and, and pay yeah, attention yeah. to it as it arises um but it's fantastic and i think you know I, i'm really excited to dive into the the kind of outdoor therapy piece that you bring to the table because i'm I'm hugely passionate about um the outdoor world particularly in the country we live in scotland there's got so much to offer us um from a recreational point of view but but as we dig deeper also from a well-being point of view so um mm, i'd love to bring that to life you you're also a father am i right
1: yeah yeah i've got a son who's almost three and a half yeah so, yeah, so, that's that's great. You know, like, it's, it's, it's like a lot of the things people tell you about parenthood are true. And I think people, you know, have their own narratives around that. And I'm not saying that if, it's a joy constantly. And, you know, but I love it. Like, I love it. And it feels like the person, like, the person I think I am or the person I want to be is very much... Influenced and framed by that role. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. um, I suppose to boil it down, it's like I'm much more considerate. um Not that I wasn't before, but like I think that really helps with like sort of perspective and sort of how you approach life. And even, you know, like <clears throat> the way we talk to ourselves, the way we talk to our partner, it's like all these things. I think when there are children present, it's like you, there's an awareness of how important all that stuff is. And I think it's for me, actually, I think I, I love being a parent, like, I love it. Um, yeah. It does, of course, have have challenges, but that's like a thing that everyone's sort of—that's a known thing. But yeah, it's the best, the best thing. That's you know, it's enriched my life so much.
2: Like, yeah. a lot of, yeah. best job in the world. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the same. I've got uh, I've got two boys, but the eldest is is three and a half. Um, mm-hmm. so it sounds sounds like we're on a similar paths. But uh, but one thing I do want to bring up later is you know, with your professional and and your interests, you know, how you're bringing him up in this kind of natural world as well, and and how mm-hmm. you kind of. Uh, see kind of his future um interacting mm-hmm. with with the outdoors, but look we're we're going to get into uh, outdoor well-being and outdoor therapy and bring that to life in a bit, but just before we do that, um obviously the men who talk um is is a men's mental well-being podcast, and I know your involvement you know professionally and with your men's group you're you're well attuned into this world. Mm-hmm. I just want to open up asking you a very open question mm-hmm. what, what does mental health or or mental well-being mean to you as as a man, a parent, a member of society?
1: Hmm, yeah. I mean, I guess for me, like, often that's fra- Well, that's framed by my own experiences, I guess, but I think um, for me, there's something about where I am now in terms of, like, I feel like I'm in a really good place, the, the most content I've ever been, and, and I can see tangible changes that I've made over this sort of last 10 years, you know, I can identify things, like certain habits I had that I don't have anymore, like, I'm quite open about this stuff. I used to gamble quite a lot, I used to smoke 40 fags a day you know like um used to drink loads you know took recreational drugs like at the weekends and stuff i used to do a lot of those things um and i don't do those things now and it's not to say those are um just by not doing those i feel in a better place but there's something about that it's created this sort of feedback loop for me where i'm like i'm taking better care of myself and i know sometimes there are many barriers to that you know there are but i think starting to like myself more, and then, it, but yeah, and then by liking myself more, I then want to treat myself with more kindness, or treat my body with more kindness, um, and it creates this sort of feedback loop. So for me, I, like, mental well-being looks like feeling content,
3: feeling okay with who you are,
1: but also like this sort of strange co- contradiction thing where it's like, Knowing that whatever happens, everything's going to be okay. But also, if you make a faux pas or you do something bad and you feel terrible about it, it's still going to be okay. So it's this thing about like, well, the person I am is—I am still inherently good. Uh, my worth is not dictated by the fact—I uh, kind of think. But you know, like it's not dictated by singular actions. You know, it's like so always kind of returning to that thing about like, well, I'm a good person, and knowing that to be true, not like. Yeah, knowing that to be like just an inherent truth that actually I'm mm-hmm. I'm good and I'm worthy, so everything else is kind of filters out for that. So I think it's about I don't know returning to self a little bit, which might seem like of an abstract answer, but yeah, something about grounding myself in the relationship with self it feels like that's central to where I'm because previously I was constantly distracted intentionally from that relationship because I didn't like myself too much, so I was um, looking for external validation all the time, or I was like trying to change, alter my mind or I was trying to change you know so I was always doing things to like outsource my happiness and that and it's that cliche thing about you realize it's an inside job that the longer that is like it feels so true that you know um,
2: so, it's really yeah. it's, it's so interesting so you just for the benefit of people listening mm-hmm. the first time you and I spoke to each other uh was just over 20 minutes ago, so never yeah. met you, never had a conversation, we'd obviously interacted to uh, to set this this podcast up, but just listening to you talk about your experiences and your journey, you use so many of the same words as I do, you use the same intonations, you put the same focus on uh, certain concepts about the way mm. you describe your experience and how that's changed, um, and I think there is a lot of alignment between what, you, you know, the, the journey you've had and the journey I've had, and mm. how you now describe Things like detachment from self in terms of your well-being, mm-hmm. um, outsourcing happiness. That's a phrase that I've used before. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think people, people use the kind of phrase junk happiness or fake happiness, and you kind of mm-hmm. don't realize you're doing that until you go through this learning process and realize that, yeah, you can do anything you want as many times as you want, but unless they, they inha- the value or the drive is inherent, then it's not kind of true contentment. Uh, yeah. So it's it's just it's very it's very interesting to hear hear that language sort of reflected back through someone else mm-hmm. who's who's been on this journey. Um, you you'd kind of talk about you know looking back at the the not the person you used to be, but the things that that person did. Um, yeah. And and how you've how you've changed that over time in terms of maintaining your well being, sort of proactively, I guess, sowing the seeds mm-hmm. of tomorrow. What is it that you do day on day that you feels you you feel keeps you in balance in check
1: um so sometimes i'm really intentional with that stuff like sometimes i will just you know so for example just now lots of people were doing dry january uh, i didn't because for various reasons but one of them was it was my friend's 40th birthday and i knew i would drink then so like well mm-hmm. but i just decided <clears throat> after that weekend i was like i'm just not going to drink for a while generally speaking since becoming parents me and my wife will maybe have some drink at the weekend, you know, like on an evening when he's asleep and that, and it was quite a nice thing. With, But I just was like, mm, I'm going to just not do that for a while. So that's something I'm doing intentionally just now. But generally, a lot of the stuff I feel like I do, it's like almost, I don't, I don't think about it. I probably could and like unpack it and be like, oh, I'm doing this thing. I think, and I, I know it's a potentially a complicated question, I'm maybe giving a simplistic answer, but for me, it's just this thing about like, <laughs> like, I like myself. So it's kind of like, and I remember, like, I like, I, I think it does come back to this thing a lot. Like, I'm like, I, I think I'm, I like myself. <laughs> like, um, and and it's, and I think that idea of liking yourself or sort of like celebrating yourself or loving yourself, is, like, you know, culturally it's sort of imbued with all this sort of like shame and your, you know, all these things about like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be like that, you know,
2: particularly so in Scotland
1: particularly exactly so I think it's I probably did like myself quite a lot as a kid I think I remember being four and five and thinking I was hilarious and you know like (laughs) you know I just thought I I did I was like I'm the funniest person in my class like I used to be and then over time over the years it's like that sort of positive self-regard sort of became less and less and it's not that anything specifically happened it was just over time and I think I'm returning to that thing about like there's almost like an innocence to it you know like it's like well my son's three and a half, he likes himself, because the world has not told him not to, or his his circumstances have not sort of influenced him to say that somehow he's not whatever, X, Y, and Z. So I think it is, for me it's that, it's like, um, and I feel like I'm an open very open person, I like talking to people, and And I think there's this thing where you know, it's not like I'm intentionally doing good deeds, it's not like some sort of cool video on YouTube where I was going to do something, but I feel like I'm, yeah, I'm I'm kind and I know I'm kind and I am i considerate and it's like, yeah, and I, yeah, I'm quite chatty and stuff and I feel like, you know, that thing about you, you get what you put in sometimes, so I feel like I approach my day-to-day stuff with I quite an open mind and open heart, doesn't it always mean I'm in a great mood and I'm not always feeling balanced, but that's kind of, it feels like it comes back to that, like I'm like, yeah, I like myself, basically, yeah. which seems like quite a leap. We've said the seems like quite a leap ten years ago or something. Kind of like, like it seemed like such a mad idea. Like, oh, just like yourself. I know it's not that simple. There are there are mechanisms and there are things and circumstances. But yeah, that's for me. It's the foundation. Is that So I like yeah. myself quite a lot?
2: Yeah, I I think um again, kind of picking between the lines here, and I just want to see how relevant is this is to you because it has become relevant to me in the whole uh, being kind to yourself journey is. How much would you say authenticity has played a role in you reaching this point? You know, you being your authentic self as opposed to the performative, Sean, that you maybe in the yeah. past thought you were supposed to be.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think because, the you know, one of the biggest problems or sort of barriers that I would encounter throughout my life, and I didn't necessarily know it at the time, but with hindsight and reflect, it's like the the sort of perceived judgment of others has always been like like... Sometimes very apparent, and other times much more subtle, but there's always a sense of like, what do people think of me? And it's, and then I used to tell myself, oh, I want to get to the point where I don't care what people think. That's changed. So I think that was, for me, that felt almost a bit ignorant. That I was like, I don't want to care. I do care what people think. I really care. But ultimately, I care what I think more mm-hmm. at this point in time. Like, so if I think I'm an arsehole, basically, it doesn't matter what people think. Because if I think I'm worthless, they could tell me. All the nice things, and I'm not going to buy it. But if, I, if I think I'm good, and then they don't like me, for example, it's not going to hurt as much. It's not going to matter as much. Um, so yeah, that kind of feels like that's kind of yeah for me. So that's sort of the idea of being authentic. Like even doing things like doing my own podcast, or like I wouldn't have done anything like that five years ago because oh, my brother will say something wide about it, or you know, yeah. or like, or my dad will be like, "Who do you think? Yeah," like even just banter. I just like. And I would, I'd, yeah, get hung up on that stuff, and it's just like I feel like I know when I spoke to Lisa on her podcast ages ago, we talked about that. It's like I feel like I've got quite a lot of get up and go, mm.
3: um, and and I think yeah, there's something about that. It's like, I,
1: and that's probably the more authentic me is that I like I I like connecting with people, I like doing stuff, you know, I like doing new things and that. So I think there's something about not worrying or not being fixated on this. Perceived judgment of others, um, it's still there, probably, like to some extent. It's not totally gone, but it's like the voice is much quieter now. It's not like you
2: know, it's overrated. kind of serving you as opposed to trampling on you, right?
1: Absolutely, yes, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So, so I mean, I could talk for hours about this, and I'll probably <laughs> do uh, at least one podcast episode on the 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 power of authenticity. But the more experienced mm-hmm. I get in this world of of mental wellbeing um. The more I think that authenticity is actually one of the the key pillars to a healthy mind, a healthy life, a happy life, if that's what you want to call it, and mm-hmm. it's just something that I don't think I had for such a long time. I think I was always you know living living the life that I thought I should live uh, because society says because whoever says and and you know you, you kind of extrapolate that, and you think about groups groups in yeah. society who for whatever reason cannot be themselves so whether it's sort of lgbtq uh racial minorities who feel for whatever reason they cannot be themselves and can't be authentic and then yeah. you start to think right the the impact that has on the individual from mm-hmm. a well-being perspective and then you kind of extrapolate that out and think the impact that has on a group of people and yeah. how much we're denying society of their authentic gifts mm-hmm just because this is the way that this is this the way we've structured the world. I just come back to that, you know, authentic authenticity, allowing people to be themselves and being comfortable in your own skin as just such a key ingredient in this whole uh this whole concept of well being.
1: No, completely. I think you know, you touched on that point about like sort of marginalized communities and stuff. And I think yeah, it's like when you actually think about it in that way, because it's, you know people not being allowed to be their authentic self. It's like, that's, that's like a, that's a sort of endemic thing, you know? And it's like, it's, and it's so damaging and it's like, yeah. it, and it happens yeah, in very clear, very clear ways. And it happens in much more subtle ways, but it's very widespread. Even at, like, you know, you mentioned something about performative. It's like, how many people, you know, with no judgment, how many people go into their workplace? And it's like, oh, to steal themselves before they go in, like almost I need to put my face on, you know? Me every to, day, if,
2: every to, day for yeah. 10 years. I and, did
1: that, and it's exhausting that stuff. And we all do it to some degree, but I think it's like giving yourself the opportunity to question that sometimes can feel a wee bit scary mm. because you know it's that thing, the mask I live in stuff. You know, it's like, but I th- yeah, I think there's a great freedom and authenticity, but for a lot of people, the barriers are quite difficult. Obviously, but yeah, there's like a peace and a freedom that comes with like
2: with it. That's exactly it. You do feel a peace. You feel a freedom. You know, my, in my experience, I hear myself say things that, um, they've not gone through a filter before I say them. And that doesn't mean they come out, you know, and sound bad. It's because it's just, I am saying what I feel because I mm-hmm. think it's the right thing for me to say at any given time. And that that's a freedom because I've always been able to do that. You know, a lot of the time, whether it's in professional situations or, you know, um, social situations, I'd put that through the filter and say, you know, mm-hmm. a, do, a, do I want to say this and B, how do I want to say it? But now it just comes out and it feels, it feels right yeah. most of the time. I know I'm still prone to the odd, uh, <laughs> the odd <laughs> faux pas, but aren't we all? Um, I think this is a really interesting segue into the, the kind of topic here, outdoor well-being, mm-hmm. outdoor therapy, because if you think about authenticity and then you think about nature, it's mm-hmm. it's impossible for the natural world to be inauthentic, you know, whether we yeah. think about animals, whether we think about trees, plants, they, they exist in and of themselves, and they do what they need to do to survive, um, mm-hmm. which, which is so beautiful. And you just wonder, at what point down this journey of humanity did, 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 did inauthenticity start to creep into us as a species? I think mm-hmm. I'm going to start off this part of the conversation with a, quite a broad question for you, but what, what does the natural world mean to you?
3: Mm, yeah. Um,
1: I think for me, so spending time outdoors is something, you know. So when I was feeling particularly, I suppose I was unwell, you know, te- technically, like I was had quite a lot of like periods of bouts of depression that were sometimes quite long, sometimes quite short, but you know, I had a lot of habits that were not great. But in those periods, this place where I got solace was when I was outside, and I always found that like this. <laughs> There was a consistency to like the, it never let me down. I suppose on some level, it was essentially oh, sense like, was reliable, you know. um, It's not going to reject me or whatever. And it's like, but if I was feeling crap, I'd gravitate. I'd want to go outside because it would feel more expansive and I was away from my problems in some sense. If I was feeling great, I wanted to be outside because it felt connective. So I always, it was like this rubber band pulling me back, you know, always like, always wanting to be outside. um. Yeah, like, and I think so. The the natural world to me probably means something about it's noticing, you know, noticing what's going on outside of me, notice what's going on inside of me, and kind of again, it's this thing about like there's a peacefulness to it, but there's also like the the, the gifts that you receive. It's that the John Muir quote, like in every walk with nature, man, that you receive far more than whatever it is. other quote, we'll find it. Um,
2: but yeah, it's t- somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you get so much more. Like, and I think it's invariably true. Most people, there are again, there are various barriers to experience in the natural world and being out even being outside. But it's like most people will find there are some obvious tangible benefits to spending even fifteen minutes in some fresh air. So it's like there there are the physiological things. There is the sort of sense of place, the sense of scale, the sense of connectedness, the sense of being really small and insignificant, which actually sometimes feels really nice to like. Think about that stuff you know so I think there's a great perspective thing that happens when you're outdoors um and I, yeah I think it's a place of great I don't know teaching like I think it can remind us and can encourage us to slow down and live more in tune with the seasons and and more and understanding that things are cyclical and the the, the cycle of life and death and rebirth and you know that I think it teaches us and they're so it's rich with symbolism and metaphor if you if you like to look at things that way. Um, but I think, yeah, on a purely practical sort of physiological level as well, because you might not have an emotional connection to the outdoors, you might just blame it, sorry. Mm. But, you know, if you go for a brisk walk for 15 minutes, you'll probably get to feel a bit better than at the start. So I think it gives
3: us so much, and I think, you know, I guess, you
1: know, during periods in history, like with mass industrialization and all that stuff, obviously that relationship has changed. And we've, you know, we we don't we, we live in a different way than we did 150 years ago or something. Um, so I guess it feels like now there's a bit of a movement for people trying to reconnect with that. I don't know that lost part of themselves, that lost part of our culture, like um, living maybe a sort of slower pace of life a little bit, kind of getting off the treadmill sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's hugely important to me, um, and obviously that's what I do career but even thinking back to childhood like i grew up in balcock um in a cult like a quiet little cul-de-sac but we had woods at the back of the house it was, like, it was in there every day like you know, climbing trees and you know all that sort of like yeah just like there was always outside always yeah yeah
3: this is, it's always been is... really important
1: to me yeah
2: that's, this is quite an interesting question that was going through my mind just as you were saying that, and particularly mm-hmm. when you talk about groups that don't get out into nature because they can't or they won't or they just don't yeah, recognise yeah. it. As... Where, where for you does nature begin? You know, Is it, is it mm-hmm. on the doorstep, or do you have to find yourself two hours away from home in, in the wilderness? You know, what, where does it begin for you? Looking out the window.
1: like I mean, even where I live, like I live in a relatively built-up area in the south of the Glasgow. I can look at the window, I can see trees you know, they're not in my garden, they're just at out the, out the side so it's like and then maybe for some people that doesn't feel enough like I understand that but I think, but then if you wanted to like really like, yeah I think it begins with noticing because we are part of nature we're not separate
4: mm.
1: like, you know, we are, we are nature so it's like, I think again, it's like maybe that's some people's like in is actually, all oh, right. I am uh like a living, breathing creature Do you know what I mean, I'm part in. Nature, so I don't know, but yeah, I don't think it has to has to be on some hill two hours for a city or something. It can be. And that's probably a more obvious sort of kinda of wild experience. But yeah, I think it, it doesn't really begin anything. I think it is everywhere. Like it is we like it just exists around us or we're part of
2: it. You think um do you think that mindset can be a barrier to people experiencing the benefits that they you know, in the, in, they've never questioned that in their heads nature might be something that they can't access easily, so they don't bother?
1: Yeah, and I think there is there, is, there, is, there are obvious sort of like cultural, societal economic barriers to people experiencing stuff, like if you look at you know, when they
3: if you, like just accessibility, you know, so for Glasgow's really good for a city this size. Like we're really fortunate—the amount of
1: parks and green spaces we have. Like it's, it's great. Um, but in some communities, some people like won't even have access to like a green, a communal green space or something. So it's like that can feel like a barrier. And I think also the concept around, like maybe some people understanding is, oh, you need to go to like the Trossachs or you need to go to maybe like. People don't actually think about looking close at home because there's
3: mm-hmm. wild spaces everywhere. Like, you can, you can find it. Um,
1: but yeah, so I think there are a lot. There are a lot of barriers. Some of them are conceptual. Some of them are more economical. Some of them are cultural. But yeah, there are so many barriers. And I think when I started doing this job, I felt like I had almost like a, some sort of mission, like to break down barriers. And then I actually thought that was a little bit arrogant because that's me and that's me deciding how people should embrace or engage with nature. Rather than like maybe encouraging people and asking them questions, but I think I had this sort of like yeah, almost like a mission for a very small window of time. I felt like I need to break down these barriers. Like, I not know, maybe it feels like that's not my place to that's like me telling people this is the right way to experience nature. Sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's it's so I think about my own experience. So I uh, I grew up in Edinburgh. Um, mm-hmm. Went away to uni and then spent 10 years in London, which was great. Mm -hmm. I went down there for a career. I've talked about it on the podcast before about, you know, it was good at the time, but ultimately wasn't for me. I think, much like you, I kind of had a change of heart and realized that, you know, there was inherently nothing in it for me. But one thing about living in the center of London uh, was I, I always felt a discomfort with it. It never felt like home. I never felt grounded. And I struggled for the longest time to work out why. And then it was only when I came back to Edinburgh four or five years ago. Uh-huh. And I realized, you know, you could stand in pretty much any point of the city and in one direction you can see the sea and the other direction you can see the hills. But even closer than that, you can always see the horizon. And I could never see that in London. And and I just felt that's what I was missing, that uh-huh. that visual connection between Mm -hmm. myself and the 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 context of the landscape around me you know even Mm -hmm. if in in Edinburgh I'm still surrounded by the kind of built environment I can still see the natural world Mm -hmm. and I just didn't realize how much of an effect that had on you know me as an individual uh feeling grounded in a place or at home or or that if if I needed to I could suddenly escape into somewhere like like you said that will accept me for who I am
3: Mm -hmm. no
2: no questions asked Mm -hmm. um so I just it's it's a really that was a Big realization for me, and, uh, and you know, we'll get into it with kids. But you know, one of the big things that I want to do with the rest of my time here is um, is is make sure I feel that tangible connection with with the wider country and Scotland and all that's got to offer in the same way. So, mm. um, just just so we've we've kind of explored what the natural world means for you,
4: mm-hmm.
2: bringing your profession into play. Just uh, remind me and the listeners how you describe your profession and and yourself within that.
0: Hey everyone, we just want to say a huge thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Men Who Talk and take a quick break from the conversation to remind you how you can access more information on our collective. Head to our website www.themenwho.com, drop us an email at letstalk@themenwho.com, or check out our Instagram at themenwho underscore to see what we're up to. Together, it's our purpose to raise the power of sharing what's on our mind and make it easier for men everywhere to access their well-being potential. So why don't you join us on this lifelong journey? Thank you, and back to the show. Yeah, so I suppose in this context, um, so I'm a qualified counsellor and
1: supervisor, but I would, yeah, probably refer to myself as an outdoor therapist more often. Um, So at the moment, probably about 50% of my work takes place outdoors. It's seasonal to some extent. You know, there's less appetite at this year for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, so so, so essentially what, what I do, I guess, is like, I don't know what people's experience of therapy is, but I'm essentially doing the same as you would do it in a room, but it just happens to be outside. So, it's you know, it's the same thing, like you would come to therapy, you would maybe come for a specific reason, you would maybe come for a multitude of reasons, you'd maybe come you weren't sure, um, but essentially, like, yeah. So therapy, it's like it would be having a space each week or each fortnight or something to talk through some stuff, get some different perspectives. However, when I do it outside, there are some differences, obviously. Like so, so there can be movement. We can go for a walk, for example. Um, but there's also this thing, like we, you know, we touched on earlier, that's like when we're outdoors, like it does feel different somehow, and it's not always a tangible thing we can put a finger on, but. The pace of the sessions feels a little bit different outdoors. It's not a clinical environment. Not that my office is necessarily clinical, but you know, but you're not you don't have to like, I don't know, come to my office, wait in the reception, then come into my room, you know. So there's all mm-hmm. those barriers that have been removed. So for me, I think it feels like it the, the connection with a client happens much more quickly. Because I feel like those barriers, um, or, or perceived barriers certainly, they're just not there when they're outdoors. It's very democratic
4: yeah there's
1: an equality to it I sometimes sort of make tell say this flippant remark about it but essentially it's like if i get soaked through so do you you know so there's this sort of sense of like we're in it together um, and i think for some clients is really powerful but then some clients will have a really strong emotional connection to the outdoors and that can really enhance the work um so yeah, it can become a place of healing and then, then they can revisit this place, not with me, you know, so it becomes like symbolic place of healing as well as an actual place of healing. For some clients, they may that may be a practical reason they want to work outdoors. They may just not get privacy at home. They maybe don't want to come to my office. So there's a number of ways it can work. Um, I'm really passionate about it and I think what I really love and is when a client comes maybe for that second reason, like, oh, I just don't get peace at home. so it's a practical decision, I'll try this, I'm not sure I'll try it, and then, you know, I love when a few sessions in or whatever, they'll notice something, and it's like, that's not my man's job, there isn't to make them notice things, but I get a real kick out of that, like, because it feels like that, noticing of what's going on around them, can sometimes, you know, mirror what's going on inside, so they're actually, they're noticing things, so again, it's this thing about perspective and place, and belonging, and I, I I love it, and it feels so rich um and on the it can it can appear really simple um and it can appear apart from the fact that it does it can appear like it's the same thing, and maybe ninety percent it is, but there's this extra thing, and it's like it does it feels like um alchemy or magic or something you're like and I love when that happens um and it's you know it's not predetermined that will happen to every client but um I think you know, you know, it gives it gives a different opportunity for a different type of experience and a different type of growth and healing. Um,
3: which, I, yeah, I could talk about it all day. Like I just, I love it.
2: Yeah. So tell me about you know, what kind of practical things do you do? Is is it? Do you go for walks? Do you kind of physically engage with nature in terms of touch and smell and sight and sound? Do you oh. try and engage the senses in that sense?
1: Again, this is like, I'm, that's really fluid, that stuff, so I would typically, if someone got in touch with me and said, I'm thinking of starting therapy, I'd say, okay, let's have a chat on Zoom, or whatever, and then during that chat, we would talk about that kind of things, like, about, like oh, you want to do it outside, but can I just, uh, you know, find out a little bit more about why, mm-hmm. and that kind of informs the start starting point anyway, but yeah, like, I mean, there's some wonderful things happening outside, like, like, really on the nose stuff, like if you're walking along a path and there's a fork in the road. It's like, well, you know, like, uh, so we're going to have to decide which way to go. And maybe this client, for example, has never made a decision for a long time because they've got decision anxiety. So it's like, that's like a real life example. Like, wow. So you get like, so that kind of stuff happens. But yeah, when you're talking about like engaging the senses, particularly for clients who are maybe have high levels of anxiety and sort of this sort of like, Hamster wheel feeling. There is definitely something about like grounding themselves in the natural world that feels amazing, Um, and it feels like really useful. Like, and sometimes that actually can mean like let's have a seat rather than going for a frantic fast walk, because sometimes you notice the pacing of a client is quite telling. Sometimes, yeah. Um, So yeah, so there's lots of different things. Some again, I'm very client led with that stuff, but I, I don't have like, I don't really have a set plan at the start, other than the same way I would approach any therapy. But yeah, I think there's something about that, noticing what's around us, and that can be integrated into the work. And it's really, mm-hmm. um, it can be really powerful. And I've had clients before, like, you know, maybe picking up a pine cone or picking up a little pebble and keeping it. And, you know, maybe not really articulating or, or expressing what they've done that for. But then that's, that's a really interesting thing that couldn't happen indoors. So you're getting these extra things that can be. It can be retro meaning. Um, so I think it yeah, allows scope for different types of conversation sometimes. Mm-hmm.
2: You might have a perspective on this. When I go out walking, whether it's kind of through the city or you know it's a hike up in the Highlands of Scotland, and I'm with someone else, you know, the conversation, I think, as you've already said, takes on a, a bit of a, a, a deeper tone than it might otherwise. Um, but there's something really interesting that happens, and if you notice if you if you take time to notice it, you'll realize it happens quite a lot there are natural points whereby almost without communicating the, the two of you for example will stop walking in a certain spot or at a certain point of the conversation is that something you notice yeah
1: yeah
2: why do you um, think that is
1: i mean i think sometimes i certainly because i noticed that with it's in normal people <laughs> that are not clients. I mean, like, I noticed that with like, family members and friends we're out of walk as well, those things do happen, so there's, like, this yeah. natural natural sort of, like, I think sometimes it's a rhythm thing as well, like, you know, when we're walking side by side, I think we, we there's a different dynamic than if we're sitting opposite each other. Yeah. But, yeah, that and stopping and noticing thing, I don't really know, because I have noticed it, and I'm, 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 I've been curious about that before, like, um, I was out walking with my friend a few or four weeks ago, and we were up in Cathkin braes it's like a sort of park up the top of Glasgow it's uh, kind of like hills and stuff basically, a bit like Arthur's Seat that kind of thing, it's like exactly sure. say the same. and we were just walking and we just both stopped almost at the same place and I remember was, I was thinking like I wonder why we did that, but we never actually talked about it, it was just later on I was thinking that um, and I couldn't quite and it was kind of a vantage point as well, so there's was maybe this thing, but sometimes I wonder if it's something to do with perspective, you know like mm-hmm. in I wonder if it's on some, I don't know, more sort of primal thing, like about, like I don't know, checking out your environment. I don't know, actually. I don't know, but I've noticed that before and I find it interesting.
2: It's fascinating, isn't it? It's almost like there has to be this perfect convergence between the point of the conversation and the, the physical spot where you're standing, whereby non-communicatively, you both just turn and face each other and say, right, let's let's engage visually or whatever. Um, and then, and then almost, you know, without thinking you start walking again at the same time because you've mm-hmm. passed that point of the conversation or you, yeah, maybe you're looking around and realize that, you know, you've taken in the the, the, the physical spot where you are and it's time to move mm-hmm. on. But yeah, I just wondered if you'd noticed that and if you had a, a theory as to why it is, but I think it's probably yeah. extremely complex. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> the reasons yeah, for yeah. it.
2: Um, I, I think it's absolutely amazing, you know, whether you kind of, you know, you choose to engage with someone like yourself and purposefully go out and and engage in outdoor therapy, or whether it's just something you you kind of build into your everyday life. Um, I want to take you back a little bit, though. You said you know you haven't always done this, but I I get the impression, or or you've said as much that nature has always been a, an important part of your life, whether you've realised it or not. But mm-hmm. you know, if you think about your growing up, uh, your childhood, the way you engage with nature. What was it that inspired you or convinced you that you could combine therapy and the outdoor world to create effect?
3: Hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there was part of it was maybe like, I wouldn't say it was an arrogance, but there was certainly like a sort of
1: a certainty. Yeah, like a certainty that, and I think when I first, yeah, sort of broached that subject to taking my work, before I was even qualified, that said, I'm going to work outdoors. I think there was definitely a sense of when I was told I can't do that, and mm. I wanted to push back against that a little bit, because I thought how, how, how can you, who are you to decide what I can and can't do, there was definitely a bit of that but yeah, it feels like for me, knowing the sort of actual effect being in, in the outdoors has on me um, and it's like, like I've said, this place of healing and comfort and belonging and all that, I think knowing that that was in the back of my mind and then when I started to train as a therapist I think what happened is I was actually looking at placements or something way before I'd even started and I'd came across the Venture Trust to like do like a lot of work outdoors but they do more like take people for excursions and like weekends away and sort of more intense stuff but I think I'd already been thinking about it but then I'd seen that and I think that sort of re- reminded me like oh that's that's what I want to kind of do and then yeah and then like just I remember talking through my brother and my dad and like, not really asking their advice, but just tell them this is what I'm going to do, and they were both, oh, that's so cool, that's amazing. And they, but both my brother and my dad are not necessarily the most um, enthusiastic or sort of, yeah, like talkative actually. So that felt really like, all oh, right, they think that's a good idea too, you know. So and then everyone I mentioned it to, so I wasn't shy about telling people this was my intention. Mm-hmm. I'm like oh, that sounds so cool, I've never heard of that before. Um, so I think that sort of gave me a bit more resolve about it. I was like, I'm definitely doing it. So it was like the seed was already there. I just didn't know necessarily, you know, so I had to uh, um and then I was able to tie in it in at my own experiences were like like that almost thinking examples of why it works. You know, I was oh when I was depressed, I used to go for walks up the canal every day. And that felt mm-hmm. good. And and I was able to find like little and it was the more people I spoke to about it, the more people were like, oh that sounds amazing or oh yeah I always go for a walk when I'm feeling off or So there's just all this sort of like anecdotal evidence that was sort of Mm. uh, solidifying my position almost. They've been like, I'm definitely doing this. Um, And then the practicalities of doing it, again, I I didn't really know what that would look like. I looked online. There was a woman down in sort of near Manchester doing something quite similar. There was a woman near Nottingham doing something similar, but there was nobody really in Scotland that I could see doing it. And I was like, hmm. And then when I qualified I just advertised it on my website straight away. I was just like, I'll just do it and see what happens. And then I got inquiries about it pretty much straight away. Um, but then I would take that, you know, talk talk that through with like my supervisor, my clinical supervisor and say, I'm going to have a client outdoors. And we'd always go back to the thing like, well, the actual work is the same. Like, don't be in your head about it. Like, you know how to do the job. Like, you're a competent, qualified therapist. It's just like, you know, you're in an uncontrolled environment. But I, I re- remember that, but then knowing I felt comfortable in that environment, it's like, oh well. You know, so it was kind of like it joined loads of dots when I started doing it, um, yeah. and I remember having my first ever outdoor session, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about things like manifesting and all this stuff, and I think I believe in that stuff to some extent. I don't know how I don't know how I feel about all of that. I think anyway, but I remember having this first session, and it was like, like I was I was watching myself. It was like I was some sort of outer body experience, like it was like wow. a film I was watching, because everything about it was how I'd imagined. Yeah. Like it was just like it was. I couldn't. Like even things like the type of weather that day, you know, it was just everything. And I remember thinking, I took that as a sign. Of like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do, obviously, right now. Like, if all these things are sort of leading me to that, and then I'm doing it, and it feels almost effortless, but also like I'm in this flow state, and I'm like, it's, ex- you know, I'm being authentic, you know. So it ties back. To that I was just like, this is this is what I'm doing. Like, and it just felt like. Yeah, it wasn't quite a eureka moment, but it was in that sort of area, like, I felt like I was coming home almost, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like, aye,
2: yeah. That's brilliant. I was going to say exactly the same thing to, to, to pick up on what we talked about earlier. Authenticity shines through in this, which, you know, given you are ultimately dealing with other people's well-being is so important because... Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, you know, you've not gone on, you not gone into this saying, uh, you know, I've read a bunch of journals and the evidence for outdoor therapy is incontrovertible. What what comes through to me is, you know, it's part of your childhood, it's part of your nature, it's been part of your experience for managing your own mental well-being. So you've got that authentic experience of it, and you're taking that, you know, to other people. Which, mm-hmm. which for me is the most important thing. It's the same for me. I, I have a very different career path. Now, I, I chose to go into the whiskey industry four or five years ago. You know, I, I love everything about the industry, but the most authentic thing for me about that is um, whiskey for me is, is such a wonderful vehicle for describing the nature of Scotland to Scottish people, but also, you know, the rest of the world. And that's the yeah. authenticity in it for me. Um, and that's where my, my, my love of it comes from. So, so kind of to hear you describe that is, you know, it's very genuine and I absolutely salute you for, for, for kind of following your heart in that respect. Mm. Um, Thank you. Let's think about, and I, I do want to take this, the next step beyond this is, is bringing in the kind of children element because that, that wasn't mm-hmm. part of, part of the planned conversation, but I do think it's very relevant. Um, mm-hmm. But, but still, I guess that still thinking about adults, Um, mm. what, Kind of things can people do, you know, on a, on a practical basis, on an everyday basis, to engage with nature in a way that will benefit their physical and mental well being.
1: Yeah, I think so. I don't know if you've heard that there's a thing, and I don't know who you came up with it, but it's called the five ways to well being, and it's used by a lot of sort of third sector organisations as, as a a bit of a structure for doing stuff. But I think. I've used it in my men's group. I've used it with clients before.
3: It feels like a really useful thing. So there's five ways
1: to well-being. I mean, expand on them. But one is pay attention.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: And again, that's open interpretation. But yes, pay attention. Then one is tune in. Then connect, take notice. uh, Sorry, connect, take notice, be active, learn, and give. That's what it is. Yeah, so connect, whether that's with yourself or the environment around you or both. Take notice, again, maybe what's going on emotionally within you, what's going on outside your window, like taking notice in all those different ways. Being active. Now, again, there's a caveat because obviously for some people being active is, there are barriers, of course there are, but it's like within your like means and your capabilities doing all these things or aiming to do these things. So being active. Learning, again, whether that's actually learning the name of a tree or something, because that can be quite a useful thing for people to feel connected. Or just learning, like, um, how you feel when you're outside, you know, because it's all very open. The temptation and give back. Again, that can be something maybe about the relationship we have with ourselves, giving back to ourselves, being kinder. But also, mm-hmm. again, we take that external and like, if we're thinking about the natural world, it's like well, maybe being more. Even in your own small way, but being more considerate and more aware of like what that would mean. You know. So I think that's always, I always feel is a really good starting point is the five ways to wellbeing because it's uh, very open to interpretation and it feels like I uh, certainly you know we've done it in the men's group and it's like we've spent two or three hours just talking about like what that all means because it's it's kind of different for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we we people who who are maybe w- w- wanting to look at the relationship with outdoors or maybe would like to use outdoors as a sort of catalyst or a vehicle or a tool for improving their own well-being I think that's really like it feels like quite a a methodical way to do it almost but it feels like it's quite accessible and manageable like look at those different aspects Um, again some people maybe it won't land for some people that stuff and I think that's why at the start I got muddled up because I took some notes but the thing I always go back to is pay attention and tune in you know so it's this idea like again whether that's what's going on inside you what's going on outside you but it's like this idea like noticing like Mm -hmm. take notice and I think that's a good starting point for people wanting to engage with outdoors in some way
2: yeah I'm a sucker for a a mental model or a framework so that that really works (laughs) for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and and what what we'll do um maybe in, in the show notes is post a link to that if there's yeah, if that's course, somewhere yeah, available just yeah. for people yeah. to go and uh, kind of download or or you know use when they're writing about i think that's mm-hmm. um i think that's that's really solid give people some you know something people can grasp onto and, and come back yeah, to yeah. Um, what about what about the kids thing? So we we said earlier, you know, we're both uh, fathers. We both got mm-hmm. uh, kids the same age. One of one of the biggest things I want to instill in you know both my boys, and if we have any more, is you know I love a love for the world around them, you know, particularly mm-hmm. Scotland, and I uh, kind of bring them up with a real time appreciation for their country and and what it mm-hmm. can offer, but but also to benefit you know as individuals from the the yeah connecting with it in a well being sense. What kind of things you know? Do you do with your son to, you know, help him appreciate and learn from the natural world.
1: I mean, I think the most popular thing we like at the moment is my son puts on these like I don't know, what you'd call them salopets, or rather <laughs> like, basically a big yeah, pair yeah. of waterproof trousers with the braces. He puts them on and he goes in puddles that are really deep. That's yeah. the current favourite, and actually, <laughs> that's really nice on various levels. But I think there's something about, I mean, that's a whole different conversation. But there's something about There's a desire culturally for children to be compliant. You know, there is a sense of like, you can't do that. Why you just can't? You know, there's this. Mm -hmm. So I think there's something about allowing and I'm, you know, or encouraging my son to like, if he's curious about what's wanting to go in the deep puddle and it feels safe, I will let him. And I think there's something about that. It feels like it's a really nice place to learn about. Like, I don't know, it's a sensory thing. It's like a exploring thing. It's a thing about understanding different weather like I mean I think my son would happily go out all day every day like we don't for various reasons but yeah so I think there's something about like taking the lead for him that feels really important and I think sometimes as adults and parents and I think and it's not a judgment on anyone because I do it myself sometimes but I think some like just let them be kids and like let them explore a bit I think it's really well it is really healthy and it is really Natural, I think that's the point. It's like a natural thing to do is to pick up a stone and look at it, or put your hand in a puddle to see what it feels like.
3: Yeah,
1: and I think a, an adult or parental desire to keep our children safe is sometimes coming through our own anxiety about, well, if they go in that puddle, they might get a cold, or whatever it might be, or or or, or, or I'll have or, to wash
2: the salopettes when I get home. You know what, exactly? There's what, what a yeah. poor reason, you know,
1: yeah, there's there is some sort of like um in a small way about catastrophizing or, or, or fortune telling thinking that goes on, you're like, well, if I do that, that'll happen. So you're yeah. not to do it. And I think like yeah, I think when I'm being the parent I want to be, you know, when I'm and I'm noticing that, it's like more often than not when we're outdoors and like my son gets lots of freedom and it feels it feels great to see him experiencing that. It feels great for me to join in with that. But also I think it's like a really there's something about, like, he's a really good teacher for me, you know, reminding me, like, doesn't it matter if you get your trainers mucky? Like, doesn't it doesn't really matter. It might matter yeah. for five minutes, but it doesn't really. So I think, yeah, so allowing, for me, it's about allowing my son to take the lead. And obviously there are, there are limits and parameters, but allowing those limits and parameters to be pushed sometimes as well. Like, he was trying to climb <clears throat> uh, a tree the other day, and it's like, like, it's fine, but he was getting a bit high, and I was. I definitely felt anything like, Hmm, should I let him do this or not? But it's the same when he goes up the slides in the park, he goes up the giant slide, they would just run, you know. He's quite fearless. I yeah. don't want him, I don't want to take his fearlessness off him because of my anxiety. So, I remind myself of that quite a lot. So, I, it's about me, it's about taking the lead for him. But that's the aspiration, and I try and do it as often as I can. And my wife's really good with that as well. So, I think he, my son, gets a lot of. Freedom to explore and to follow his natural urges and instincts. Um, And I think it's only really our role to step in is when he is and, you know, risky hurting himself or someone else or whatever. But I think actually, like, because that's like, there's again, it's this thing about authenticity, that desire to go in a puddle, that's not coming through like, that's not some sort of conditioning thing. That's like, that's just like, I want to go in it, you know? So it's like, there's a purity in that that I think is really. Like it's beautiful, like because as adults we don't do that stuff,
4: mm-hmm. and I
1: think it's like really. We were out on um. What day was it? It was last Monday, and he was in a puddle up his waist almost, <laughs> but he had sunglasses on, and he was pushing his bike through the puddle, and I just I just thought it was like, it was really funny, but I just thought that's great. Like he doesn't, I don't know, he's not. Nobody's told him that if you get wet, it's an inconvenience or
3: yeah,
1: you know. So he's just that yeah, there's like a real. So, yeah, taking the lead from children, I think, is really child-led stuff. I think it's really beneficial for everyone because, actually, I think adults really benefit from it as well. Like, once they're able to let go some of their anxiety a bit and, like, sort of take the brakes off a wee bit, play, the power of play, I think it's massive.
2: Oh, hugely! It's um, it does kind of shake you out of your conditioning, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I've got pictures of our eldest, you know, maybe maybe this time last year in winter actually, and he's down at we're we're down at Portobello Beach in mm-hmm. February or January, February. And there's pictures of him just, you know, in the sea in his pants or yeah, yeah, yeah. or actually, you know, without any pants on. Uh, yeah. And he's just cutting around backwards baseball cap and that's all he's got on. And he's just got uh, this look of him in his face like exactly what you said. No one's told him that it's um, that you shouldn't be going into the sea in February and you will get freezing cold and you're butt naked. It just he wants to do that because he's seen it and he's mm-hmm. curious and he's engaged. and And I do look back at those photos and think, why didn't I just get in with him? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, you know
2: why not? Yeah. Who's you know who's stopping me? So it's mm-hmm. they are reminders. They are you know in in many ways your greatest teachers. But mm-hmm. um yeah, it's it's something big for me. You know both both in kind of letting them take the lead out in the out, outdoors, but also I think taking every opportunity you can to sort of explain to them in a way that makes sense you know, what nature means and
4: mm-hmm. you
2: know how we've got this this role to you protect it, to look after it, and as you've said mm-hmm. earlier that actually we we're part of it, not separate from it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, so sometimes I'll take him down to the park or the botanics in Edinburgh and, you know, we'll just go up to a tree and I'll just say, you know, Rory, do you remember what this is called? Mm-hmm. And like we feel, feel the bark and I say, what does it feel mm-hmm. like to you? What do you give mm-hmm. the tree a cuddle? And he yeah. will. And you think, yeah. well, you know, I think just taking these little opportunities to drip feed the importance of nature into them. And then, as I'm sure you've experienced out of nowhere, you'll be sitting there and he'll turn around and go, Daddy, it's very important that we look after trees. And you think, yeah, good, that's nice, good yeah. this is, this is, this is finding its way in. Yeah, which is a no. Problem. It's
1: really I love that stuff. I think just when you're talking about photos, there was a picture of my son from when he was maybe 18 months old or something. And he, it was like we when we lived in our old house, it was like Around the corner. There was like a small park. It was kind of like it was really small. Um, but we used to go in there quite a lot when he was little. There was a picture of him like bending down to smell flowers, and he, I don't know, he was 16 months old or something. I just remember, like I remember him doing it, and he he couldn't, he hadn't figured out how to sniff. but he obviously had seen people doing it so he was blowing on them but it's just it's just a really uh, but it's just again it's this sort of natural curiosity thing and like you know being attracted to like uh, yeah being curious about that stuff and want to investigate it and be like oh what is this and stuff It was really nice um yeah
2: yeah. Well, listen, listen. we're going to meander back up into the world of mental well-being more generally in a moment. But just before we do that, um, we'll obviously put in the show notes and on Instagram, et cetera. But tell tell, um, tell everyone how they can find out a bit more about you and what you do and, and how can they can engage with you.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's obviously me and you engage through Instagram and I use Instagram like a fair amount. Well, I'm, I'm not quite inconsistent, but I'm there basically. So it's just Sean the Counseling on Instagram. But then I've got a website, which is SeanTierneyCounseling.com. And on that, you'll find information about, I suppose, like my actual work. But you'll find there'll be links to like the podcast I do. There'll be links to workshops I run. It's like the shop window, if you will. So there's quite a lot of stuff in there. And occasionally, like I occasionally I'll do blog posts and stuff about, about this sort of stuff, you know, about. Um, i've not done that for a while but it's something i want to get back to is like writing more about this stuff um but yeah so like and i'm and i'm always happy for people to get in touch just with even i don't know, curious like curiosities like oh what does what's this so um yeah so i so my website is probably the best place but most people i guess are, would find it easier to find me on instagram because most people are on instagram so
2: yeah yeah awesome Awesome. Well, we'll make sure that people, uh, people can find you easy enough through, through the menu as well. Um, well, listen, I, I, I would truly love one day to go for a, a being walk or a hike, or even, yeah. even, a, even a dip in the sea with you someday to yeah. to feel the benefit of this myself. Cause I think, you know, what you're doing, the the leap you've taken is, is just brilliant. And the more of this we can do formally, informally, on our own, or as groups, you know, the better we will be as people, as communities, as society. So, absolute power to you, mate, and wish you the very best mm-hmm. of luck with it going forward. Um, so again, coming coming back up into the world of well-being, mental well-being, um, just learning a bit more from your experience, mm-hmm. and this, you know, you can take this in a professional capacity or a, an individual capacity. But if if someone was to come to you and just say, you know, uh, I'm I'm struggling a bit at the moment, um, mm-hmm. just diving into your experience in your bag of mental well-being tools what mm-hmm. one thing would you suggest they could turn to to try and alleviate some of the, the challenges
1: i think i would probably again this is whether it was a, a friend or like in a professional capacity but i probably want to know the context of that struggle to some extent you know um but yeah i would what I would probably ask them or probably want to find out is of all the things that are going on right now there may be lots of maybe one or two things of all the things that are going on right now which thing would you feel the biggest benefit from feeling differently about you know whether that's a temporary a short like feeling differently about something for a few days but what would have the biggest impact on you and possibly be a catalyst you know i wouldn't be asking that way but that's what i'd be thinking mm-hmm. um so if people wanted like practical what should i do and people do ask that you know clients and friends and i'll be like i'm feeling this Tell me what to do, and obviously I try not to tell people what to do because it's
4: mm-hmm.
1: it's a bit a tricky one. That, um, but I would always like think about really, really these complex, emotional, and spiritual, and all these questions we have, all these problems and stuff. It's like sometimes the doing the simple things and doing them consistently is has such a big impact. So I would I would, I would ask or I would encourage them to spend some time outdoors if that was something they were able to do, and again. And I'm not saying you need to go for a big walk. I mean, literally, walk to Tesco or whatever. Like whatever you're doing, instead of taking the car, the bus, you walk. Do some sort of have some sort of exposure to the outdoor, to some vitamin D. Start there. Move your body, which connects to that as well. But find a way to move, move your body because that has like a real impact on our like physiological impact. It has an impact on our brain. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you're able to. And that's why going for a walk is such a good one because it ticks the box of being outside there and moving your body. Mm. But I think start and it, most people that will be something that's accessible accessible to them and that would be often overlooked because it's like it's mundane for a lot of people that stuff. But actually, and then if, like sort of almost building that in is like not maybe like a checkbox thing like do it every day and tick it off, but like just remembering that this is something that you have access to that is um, feasible. Practical. It's like look at like a smart goals thing, you know. It's achievable and all that. So yeah, move your body, have some fresh air, and look at like the sort of basic stuff like your sleep pattern, your what you're eating, and that. And I'm not saying go on some complicated regime, but just like look at that stuff. Ask yourself those questions. Be curious about it. So what what can I what can I do, given my circumstances and my means? What can I do that will have an impact that and sort of some sort of facilitate some change. Um, But yeah, I think like the fresh air and moving your body are like, I think they're almost essential to shifting some sort of perspective. Mm -hmm. I think the absence of those doesn't necessarily cause problems, but it can actually sort of entrench the problems a bit more. So I think, yeah, finding a way, and I mean, we can always find reasons or justifications not to do stuff. but yeah, like some, for some people, it is really about starting small. Like, I uh, see when you're going to get the subway that takes six minutes into town, get off a stop early and walk the five minutes. You yeah. know, it can be something as simple as that. But yeah, it doesn't have to be some big sweeping change. It doesn't have to be some complicated morning routine like an influencer. It can just be like, just do some small practical things that will work for you and just try them. And also be forgiving if you don't do them. Because that goes back to that relationship with self. Don't beat yourself up if you don't manage to do them every day or whatever. Like, Don't look at it like some sort of failure. Like, like, Remember you're doing this as an act of kindness to yourself and that kindness has to exist whether you do it or not. So like, the aim is to do it to yourself because you'll feel better. If you don't manage to do it still be nice to yourself, please.
4: Yeah. <laughs> try, and,
1: try and be a bit supportive and empathetic to your circumstances. So yeah, I, that's what I always do if I notice I'm feeling in a funk, I would describe
3: it. I'm like, well, I'll just I don't know, I'll do something like hang the washing out like rather than put it on the radiator. And then I'm like,
1: well, I'm getting some fresh air for five mm. minutes. Like I mm. just it's almost like a Yeah, it's almost like I kind of boil it down to those really simple things.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, knowing what's good for you and what works mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you from our last guest who was David the storyteller um mm. if you're open to being asked a question from our last guest
4: yeah
2: good man so the question that david left and you can interpret this as you will mm-hmm. the question is what is alive for me right now what's alive for you right
3: now
4: um,
1: i think probably a couple of things feel i feel quite i feel like quite like a sort of i don't a dynamic feeling you know like i feel like I feel quite alive, actually. I <laughs> think that's what it is. I feel like quite like, I, I guess I feel content, you know, like now, but just as an overall thing, I feel this feeling of contentment, but also excitement. Um, yeah, 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 contentment, but uh, by excitement as well. About like this now, but also just like the future, as in later on today, tomorrow, I don't know, but just like things feel good. Um in quite a lot of ways just now so i'm I'm really in that which is now always the case so when i'm in it i like to remind myself i like to say it you know i like to articulate it because it feels like it it becomes more true yeah somehow if you say it out loud yeah
4: mm-hmm. and yeah,
2: that you're in the zone
3: yeah yeah i quite way. like
2: I, I quite like that feeling of um yeah excitement contentment but you can't really say why you just feel it mm-hmm. you know it's quite a nice uh it's quite a nice place to be isn't it mm-hmm. um Thank you, David, for that question. Just if anyone is listening and hasn't listened to David's episodes on storytelling, it's it's phenomenal, and it ends with a a beautiful story that he told to me uh, on the podcast. So I'd recommend you you go and have a listen to that. And um, talking of things that will make you feel better and take you out of your own head, you know, this is uh-huh. one of them. So go and go, do go and have a listen. Um, Sean, we're going to finish off as we always do, um, and invite you to leave a question for our next guest if you have one.
1: Yeah, that uh, obviously I knew- you know, you, we spoke beforehand a little bit, and I thought of a few different ones, and I get like tossing and turning between a few different ones. The one that I keep coming back to actually is, <clears throat> um, so, so that is kind of similar to like what I was saying. I would ask clients or the internet.
3: Um, but what, given
1: your circumstances right now, what is the one thing you would like to change? And again, that's very open interpretation. But what's the one thing you would like to change? That's it you know and that can be whatever they wanted to mean
2: but yeah perfect well as always I'll give that some thought in my own head but um <laughs> listen, mate, I thank you again hugely for your time for your insight for your your practical tips and and as I say wish you all the best with what you're doing because I think it can make a huge difference to us if we just choose to engage with people like you and the world around us in a bit more of a, a meaningful way so thanks again buddy
1: yeah it been a total pleasure like, great fun yeah
0: Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Men Who Talk. We really hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as we did and can apply some of today's wisdom to your own mental well-being practices. For more information on this episode or our collective, head to the show notes or visit our website, www.themenwho.com or head over to Instagram, at themenwho underscore. If you've found value in what we've been sharing, feel free to rate and review our show as it really helps us spread the word and reach more listeners. For now, keep talking, stay well, and be sure to join us next time for another episode of The Men Who Talk.